WNYC Studios is supported by Zuckerman Spader. Through nearly five decades of taking on high-stakes legal matters, Zuckerman Spader is recognized nationally as a premier litigation and investigations firm. Their lawyers routinely represent individuals, organizations, and law firms in business disputes, government, and internal investigations, and at trial. When the lawyer you choose matters most. Online at Zuckerman.com. Radio Lab is supported by the John Templeton Foundation, funding research and catalyzing conversations that inspire people with awe and wonder. Learn about the researchers making the latest discoveries in the science of well-being, complexity, forgiveness, and free will at templeton.org slash podcast. Radio Lab is supported by the Johns Hopkins Carey Business School, helping to advance careers with the flexible MBA that is 100% online. Johns Hopkins Carey Business School. Build for what's next. Learn more at carey.jhu.edu. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. This week on the New Yorker Radio Hour, Bradley Cooper talks with me about his lifelong dream of conducting an orchestra, which he does in the new film, Maestro. That's the New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, I'm Lulu Miller. If you joined us last week, you met the hidden body part stowing away inside your body. Uh, And today we have another hidden story about life and non-life and how the line in between them is way blurrier than we might think. Uh, We are talking about viruses today. Uh, This episode is a rewind, but it's a lovely one. It's called Shrink. And what I love about it is not just that it busts a binary between life and non-life that I always thought was hard and fast, but also that as you listen, it really feels, at least to me, like Robert Krowich and Jad Abumrad, OG hosts, uh, that they kind of shrink down into these little boys who are so giddy with questions uh, for Carl Zimmer. It's it's like they I picture them like two little boys at Santa's knee, just just taking in the knowledge. Um, and it's a really raw, lovely glimpse, I think, at what this show does best when it when it does its best, which is to make space for for questions and and for real listening. So I hope you enjoy this kind of giddy romp through the evolution of life and non-life, and all the places where that line blurs out a bit. Here we go. Yeah, you're, wait, wait, you're listening. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. <coughs> you're listening, listening to Radio Lab. Radio Lab. From WNYC. Yeah. Rewind. Come on! I'm totally, I'm, like, you guys like came saying we want to talk to you about three radio things. Okay, okay, job. okay. Let's do, let's do that. Let's do okay, that. Then. You have to like keep but up with this. Board. Hey, this is Radio Lab. I'm Jad Abumrad. We're going to do something that's a little bit unorthodox today, at least for us. Um, you know, if you've listened to the show in the last ten years or so, however long we've been doing this, uh, you understand that like we like to edit, right? We like we like a good edit or seventy. But today I want to play you something that has almost no edits at all. It's just a conversation, which is, of course, the foundation of what we do. These long, rambling, occasionally profane, error-strewn conversations that we then edit into something coherent. But today, I want to show you the messiness. No edits! This is a chunk of a conversation with science writer Carl Zimmer. 
he came and sat down with us uh, a while back, and we talked for four hours. Two of those hours became the basis for uh, the CRISPR podcast that was a few podcasts ago. This was about gene editing. But then we kept on going for another two hours, and he told us this story, actually two stories, but we're only going to play one, that I thought was really cool. And it's about this new way of looking at life. Um, is, this a, is this a long story, a medium story, or a short story? It's not a... Uh, we can get through this a lot faster than CRISPR. Okay. okay. I really like CRISPR, by the way. So do I. I mean, CRISPR it. is... Yeah. It's the bomb. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a perfect, perfect way to describe yeah. it. <laughs> Biological bomb. Okay, so uh, uh, chapter two. Okay, maybe you could start the story, once, the Once Upon a Time. Sure. So Once Upon a Time being, um, I'd say once, once Upon a Time being before 2003. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> we basically had two kinds of living things on Earth. We had cellular life and we had viruses. And it was nice and distinct and clear cut. And so cells included uh, us, because our bodies are made of cells, and bacteria, which are single celled, and all the other things that can grow and let their cells divide. They have DNA, they have proteins in them, they all that stuff. And then over here, you had viruses. And viruses were just little packages of genetic material that um, would go from cell to cell and use the cell to make new viruses. And so inside of them, all they had were genes and a couple proteins that would then sort of hijack their host. I mean, they seem like so so preliminary that they don't maybe not even qualify as life. Right. They can't grow on their own. Um, they can't generate their own energy. So, you know, us and all other cellular life, we uh, we make a kind of a fuel called ATP. And we need that to do every little thing in our body. And viruses don't make ATP. So, you know, they're... So couldn't we say that life is us, cells, and multicellular beings, and then there's like sort of pseudo-life, which yeah. is these little things that mm-hmm. live off of us? Yeah, yeah. A lot of people, a lot of scientists don't really think viruses are truly alive. They they just sort of take advantage of life to to make more copies of themselves. Okay. Can I ask a dumb question? So viruses they don't have a wall around them in the way that that cell cells are walls essentially are uh, walled off areas. Um, they might have a protein shell. Uh huh. And and so you know when the flu virus goes into a cell, that protein shell kind of breaks open, and the genes and and proteins inside come out. They do have containers that contain them for yeah. for a while. I see. Mm-hmm. Well, isn't that one of the somebody who ha- had a had a list of rules that make you alive? And wasn't it a container was one of those rules? I, I yeah, but yeah, I mean, they, that, don't, they don't do the energy, but they have the container at least. Right. So the problem with viruses is that they have some of the things that we think are essential for life, but not quite all of them. So right. it's, it's been convenient just to say viruses are not alive. Mm-hmm. Just put them over there because they don't have everything that cellular life has. So we'll just say they're not alive. Okay. They're just viruses. Gotcha. And then? So then what happened is that there was a scientist named uh, Timothy Robotham uh, in England who hmm. was investigating a uh, outbreak. Timothy Robotham? Timothy Robotham, That's yes. a good English name. In Robotham? With a Timothy f- Robotham was, uh, was working in Bradford, city in England, hmm. and um, he was uh, – looking at the kinds of bacteria that might be growing in a hospital. Mm. 
you know, like they, they were having some problems with pneumonia outbreaks and so on. And he was like, okay, well, what's growing around here? Uh, and so he went to a, a sort of a cooling tower for water on top of the hospital and he took a sample and he went and put it under his microscope and he's like, hmm, some interesting bacteria here. Oh, here's a very interesting bacteria that doesn't really look like anything I've seen before. Wait a minute, this guy would just kind of crawl around to weird places and just snatch little snippets of scum or what would he? Yeah. What I mean, was he? What was his job? He, he's a microbiologist. Oh, of course. So, you know, the, it would be good to know. Like, I mean... Is that what microbiologists do? They just go scrape little bits of rock or, or they, water tower They search the scum. world. Yeah. I mean, microbes are everywhere. So microbiologists go everywhere to find microbes. So they're even, you know, in a water tower on a hospital. Was he, do, was he in, a, in a kind of an investigatory role? He was trying to help them, help them figure out which bacteria are, are making people yeah. sick? Um, that was one of the hopes. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he was thinking of doing a survey because, you know, there are diseases like Legionnaire's disease, which can, you know, grow in these, these sort of containers of water. You know, that's, there, there's some concern about that. So, you know, better to get to know what's mm-hmm. growing. Um, so he's particularly taken by one um, thing that he assumes is bacteria, and it's got a kind of interesting kind of roundish shape. Um, and he call and when bacteria are around, you can call them cocci or coccus. Um, so he names this Bradford coccus, gives it a name. That's why the coccus name comes up. It's referring to the shape, mm-hmm. like strep- streptococcus. Mm-hmm. Is it because it's it's round? Mm-hmm. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. The things you learn. The you talk to Carl you Zimmer. Learn. My God. Yeah. Okay. So so. Um, so he's he's trying to study this thing, and he's trying to. So one, when you're a microbiologist, the way you study bacteria is you get them to grow, and he can't get this to grow. He's feeding at things, and it's like it's not growing. Why is it not growing? I can't figure it out. And eventually, um, you know, he, he he just hits hits a hits a wall, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, um, uh, his lab uh, got shut down, um, and so he basically said, "Okay, I don't want to." Uh, throw this stuff out. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give it to some of my colleagues in France. It was it wasn't dying. It was, wasn't growing. Yeah. So he gave it to a, a scientist named Bernard Lascola and his colleagues, hmm. and they kind of put him put Bernard Lascola. Ah, oui. And and he just says I'm he just sets it aside for a while and doesn't you know it's just more bacteria you know and and it's for some reason he decided to. You know, take a look at this Bradford caucus. You know, like what 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 was this thing that that Robotham was talking about? So he looks at it and he says, "Okay, it's this. This is the size of bacteria, but it looks like a gigantic virus." Hmm. You know, it. So what is, vi- what is a gigantic virus? Is usually very small. Exactly. So a bacteria to a virus is like. Like hundreds of times bigger. Hundreds of times. Okay. So it's so, the Queen Mary to a yeah, small right. dinghy. So he looked up close and he was like, "What is this thing? This doesn't look right. This this. If I didn't know better, I'd say this is this was a virus." He's saying this based on its appearance. internal orientation. It's, its appearance. It's because it had the protein thingy. It had so stuff. so so a lot of viruses they have a shell made of protein. And the shell is kind of composed of plates. So it kind of looks like a soccer ball. Ah. Hmm. So it's a very distinctive look. Okay. And it, it looked like that. It looked like that. It didn't look like bacteria. Oh, interesting. 
It's like, wait a minute, could this be a virus? So this would be like, maybe like finding an enormous soccer ball in the woods. Yes. So he'd found the, the Leviathan equivalent of a virus. Right. It, it didn't make sense. It was, it, it was kind of crazy in that microscopic realm to say, maybe this is a virus. Wait, so didn't, so Brad Mumford, what's his name again? Timothy Robotham. Robotham didn't have this uh, realization? Nope. He hadn't looked at it closely enough. He looked at it. But he just didn't somehow put the put that this is a virus. It didn't click for him. Was it was a Tuesday, you know? Wednesdays other, other, are that's a virus day, and, and this was Tuesday. And and it's it's likely that other people were looking at these same things in years before. I'm thinking they were bacteria and They're, not realizing. Interesting. Here's a big here's something the size of bacteria. Well, in, in, the, in fairness, because viruses are always small, then mm-hmm. the, the, you wouldn't think a big thing would be a virus. So. Well, viruses are always small in the sense that th- they were discovered because they were small. So basically scient- what scientists did was they, they discovered viruses by filtering fluid from a sick plant or a sick animal through a filter, porcelain actually, and it was so small that, that er- anything the size of bacteria got trapped in the porcelain and anything smaller came out. Oh. And lo and behold, they could find things that could cause sickness in that fluid that passed through the filter. Oh, so the discovery of viruses meant it was innately small because that's how you filtered for them. That's what they were looking wow, for. That's interesting. So there were probably generations of scientists who were looking at it through microscopes, saw some interesting round thing, and assumed it was bacteria, and it was probably a virus. What the fuck is this giant, giant uh, leviathan virus? I assume that was his question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the, he first he had to, to really establish that it was, and so what happened was that. Um, he, he looked very closely at it and kind of worked out its chemistry. And the more he looked at it, the more it looked like a virus. He started he did, started actually looking at its DNA, which hadn't been possible before. It turned out that its DNA resembled the DNA of viruses and not of any known bacteria. Um, it didn't have... It, didn't, it actually didn't have the, the, the equipment for making fuel inside of it. Uh, and then the real kicker was that he found out how to grow it. What he had to do was he had to stick this thing inside of amoeba. Mm. And then out of the amoeba would come more, co- oh, more Bradford caucus. Just like a virus. Exactly like a virus. So, so he was, you need to change the name from Bradford caucus to something else. Right. So th- so they named it Mimi virus. Mimi virus. Mimi virus? Mm-hmm. Because they were in France, and Mimi's a sp- in the in a French opera. I because it was a mimic, it was mimicking. Oh, it was a mimic. Yeah, oh, interesting. Mimi, is like that, a little, is that like, a, like a mini me. Mimi, is that like a French word for mimic? Um, I think they just took you know the beginning of mimic and added it to virus. Huh. Mimi virus, very mm-hmm. nice. I guess it's the same thing twice. Mimi, it's like mimic. Yeah, okay, I get it. So, interesting. Yeah. Wow. So this so. This was, I mean, this was really bizarre when they, they published uh, the report on this in 2003 and, and people really scratched their head because, remember, you know, ordinary viruses have, you know, maybe 10 genes. Uh, this one had uh, 1,018 genes in it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> when you have 10 genes, those are the genes that so you have a protein capsule and so you can swim through the thing. So when you land on a cell, you can burrow in 
and then explode and then make babies. So those are, there's not much to being a virus. So you just need a few genes for that. What, why the, would you need yeah. a thousand? What does, did you this, say? does this thing have particular talents that the other viruses didn't have? Yes, maybe it was like it that. does. It does. Oh, it does. What okay. Is, okay. Well, so what's one thing that's really interesting is uh, what happens when it goes inside its host, an amoeba. It goes in, uh, but instead of kind of shedding off that protein code and just spilling out its contents, it actually goes in and stays as it was. You mean it stays it like uh, in a container and everything just sort of... Yeah. Oh. It's called a virus factory. Once it's inside there, the, the, it's, it's this thing they call the virus factory. And it basically is able to... Um, to to uh, things you know components come into it and then uh, then it sort of work, it has enzymes that can refashion them and then they it outcome the components for new well, giant it doesn't viruses. have to go into the nucleus of the already existing cell no it just floats in there oh interesting so it 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 what does it do like oh, like o- builds open a little a, uh, open a portal and then it sucks up some stuff and yeah then... it has this beautiful sort of uh, they call it a stargate. Because wow. it's shaped like it's a doorway shaped like a star, and things come in, and then and then out another stargate, the the, con, the these sort of manufactured things come out, and then <laughs> in the cell they assemble into new giant viruses. Oh, so it spits out the raw materials and that then self assemble into a giant a giant leviathan. Mm-hmm. No baby giant leviathans. Which then how do they get out of the? Do they explode through the surface of yeah, the cell? Yeah, they just that's, blow out. Yeah, that's like a totally that's a totally different I've thing. Never than heard a virus. Of that. Yeah, yes. I thought normally viruses just go into the machine that's already there because they're parasites. They just use the living thing. Yeah, this thing is. I'm. I have a weird kind of uh, respect for this thing. Oh yeah, it's it's amazing, and you know one of the amazing things about it is that it can get its own viruses. It gets, there are... Really? Yes. <laughs> so there are viruses of viruses. These wow. things are called virophages, and they actually go into the virus factory and hijack it. Oh, interesting. And instead, out come virophages. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. As soon as you have a virus factory, that's what a virus wants. Mm-hmm. So now that the virus has its own virus factory, well, it's going to get... Uh, it's going to be infected. Viralized. by the other viruses. Right. Weird. Very weird. Yeah, weird is the right word, I think. Right. Now, so in 2003, you know, you could say, well, this is one weird virus. But these scientists said, well, hmm, I wonder what else there is. Like, he- Well, did, they, did that sort of – wait a second. So they said, okay, it's got all this extra genetic uh, power, but mm-hmm. it's doing this sort of special circus act here. It's building its own factory, mm-hmm. and it's just behaving differently from it. So maybe it just needs all those genes to do this special thing it's doing? The problem was that when they looked at these, you know, 1,018 genes, most of them didn't match anything anyone had found before. Hmm. These are new genes. Genes, yeah, that you couldn't even guess at what they were at. This has got to be from like, this is like an alien. This is from Saturn, this thing. <laughs> is that where you're driving with the story? Not or, quite, but kind of. Right. I mean... Uh, so wait a second. So they look at all the genes, they look at the, the chemistry of life as, as it's known, yeah. and they don't find any matches for this little thing? This big thing, really? For most of the genes, they couldn't find a match. Huh. You know, you can look at, I mean... Wow, if, that's if, a double mystery. Like, what is it, what is this, and where does it come from? Because mm-hmm. it doesn't seem to have the smell of, of Earth life. Yeah, except that it uses DNA. I mean, it, it okay. uses protein. It uses our chemistry, but it's it's doing something weird. Hmm. Um, and so these scientists said, well, okay, they looked in an English hospital, you know, water 
cooling tower. Let's go look at one here in France. And so they looked, and they found another giant virus, which was even bigger than the one that they had already found. Where was the it in the virus. hospital in France? In the air in conditioning the unit? It was again? in another cooling tower. Jeez, oh. this, is like a, this is a cooling tower phenomenon yeah. so far. Rooftop biology. Well, it's... Excitement galore. <laughs> it's more like the drunk looking for the keys under the lamppost, you know. <laughs> it's like you know that oh because it's wherever you look there it's it like is we know that we know there was giant viruses found in one w- water tower so let's go look in another water tower like that's our safest bet <laughs> and hey look we <laughs> found an even bigger one uh you know which they um which had an even bigger one it was even bigger yeah so instead of a thousand eighteen genes it had a thousand fifty nine genes um so they named this one mama virus <laughs> <laughs> Mimi's first cousin, Mama. Right, right. Did right. Mama do in things in the cells that Mimi didn't do, or it was the same? Did it also build a it factory? Was, yeah, it was. It was making a virus factory. So, it's like, so there's something. There's a common theme here with these two. Now you have two giant viruses doing the same thing. Isn't this the whole Stargate and everything? Uh, yeah. Um, what's weird is that you know the Mama virus has a bunch of genes that Mimi virus doesn't have. Hmm. So it's like, and and again, don't match anything that. So they don't know what these extra ones do. Some of them look like they're involved in building proteins, which doesn't make any sense because viruses are not supposed to do that. So it's it's this is all completely confusing. But then they say like, okay, um, maybe we need to kind of get away from the whole water tower thing and (laughs) you know widen our little. Where would you go, Alexis? The opposite of a water tower would be like the bottom of a well, or is it? Or do you go to a, a library and look in the interior of old parchment books? No, you start looking at places like um, you look. You look in the ocean, or the you ocean. look in sediment, or you look inside animals, um, or or you look in the soil, and they start finding. Giant viruses over and over and over again. Really? Yeah. In all those places? In many soil of- inside of animals, like in animals' tummies or something. Yeah. So um, they uh, they went to um, these these researchers went to uh, Brazil and said, "Let's go look at animals and see if we can find giant viruses." And they found a new species in cows, and they found a new species living inside of a monkey. Mm. And these were were they finding gianter giant viruses? Yeah, I mean they were, the numbers of genes were going up and up and yeah, up. Yeah, they would they would keep finding new record breakers. So so the the biggest one right now is called Megavirus. <laughs> <laughs> gonna, That's the summer movie. Yeah. Megavirus. <laughs> I mean, there's you know bigger than Mimi, <laughs> bigger than Mama. <laughs> Mega in a world. In a yeah, world. You got it. That's right. It's like the Truckosaurus. You know, like this is like I, I, I'm wondering what they're gonna do as they keep finding bigger ones because you keep fi- having to find superlatives for these mm. things. Well where was Mega found? And what where was what was it? Um Mega I believe was found in the ocean. And how many genes does Mega have? Mega has uh, 1,120 genes. Ooh, okay, so we're... But it's not actually the big... The, it, so it has the most genes, but it's not actually the physically the biggest giant virus. Which uh, was... So this this one is uh, called a Pandora virus. <laughs> it was so... found in a box. Let me guess. In a in a sealed box, and then they opened it, and oh my god! Well, it's sh- it, it has this bizarre shape like an urn. Uh, oh. Which is completely nuts. There's no urn-shaped viruses. <laughs> <laughs> this is crazy. And, and, and the urn, 
did that remind somebody of the myth of, of what? So Pandora's Pandora. box was actually an urn. Oh, it was okay. Oh, it yeah. was. Oh, I see. Oh, yes. why did they? Why did we call it Pandora's box then? God, that's a very learned. Just to make you happy. <laughs> very because you, you love where they found it. Where did they find it? So what they did was uh, these Russian scientists they were collaborating with dug up frozen tundra that had been frozen for 30,000 years. And they said, let's thaw this out and see what's in there. What kind of things have been asleep for 30,000 years? Mm, It sounds like the beginning of a sci-fi movie right there. Among other things, they found Pandora. In a frozen land. They found Pandora (laughs) virus. And they not only did they find it, but they when they let it warm up a bit, uh, and then they gave it some amoeba to check out. They they it did its thing. They did its thing. Wow! And it, it, how much bigger? Hmm. If the first uh, giant virus you introduced us to was like a an elephant sized mouse, it, it, compared to that elephant sized mouse, how much bigger is this one? Um, Maybe it's more specific than kinda, you want to be. I, I I need to look at the numbers, uh-huh. but you know you're kind of going from I don't know elephants to dinosaurs. You're getting bigger wow. and bigger and bigger. You're you know we're not talking about you know Pandora virus is bigger than a lot of bacteria. Wow. So wait a second. So these things are now being found everywhere. You look. I mean, they are incredibly common. <laughs> They've even been able to get giant viruses out of people. Really? Yeah. We did, what's, uh, what, uh, where do you find them in a person? In our intestines or something? Um, I believe they found one sample in somebody's lungs, um, and mm. another sample was found in someone's blood. But it's really hard to tell whether they're actually like actively invading us and, and making us sick. You know, Maybe instead of invading amoebas, they can invade human cells. Because mm. amoeba and human cells are surprisingly similar. Um, or is it just kind of along for the ride with some amoeba that infect us? Mm. Um, or does it kind of drift in and when people are sick, their defenses are down? Mm. So we don't know if giant viruses have anything to do with human disease, but... It's well, strange to me, though, you, you have a category problem here. Yes. Though. If you've got a giant virus that's virus-like in its general shell, but it's making proteins, it's got a bunch of genes that viruses don't have, you're already bigger than some bacteria. Shouldn't we call it as its own separate thing at this point? That's what people are are arguing about right now. I mean, Uh do do we keep that line between viruses and cellular life and just put the giant viruses with the viruses? Or do we kind of blur the line a bit? This feels like it's on its way from one category to the other. So that's, that's one of the big questions is like, what way did this thing go in evolution? What does that mean? Well, how do you get a giant virus? Like, how do you? How do you? Well, that so so. We'll get to the potential answer to that question, which I think is totally fascinating. After the break. Hi, Rebecca Murray here from Mount Vernon, Washington. I'm a member of Radio Lab's exclusive membership program, the Lab. My membership provides Radio Lab with a steady source of funding, so the team can continue to tell stories about our crazy world. And I get access to exclusive live events and bonus content. Join me in supporting the show we love. Sign up at radiolab.org slash join. Radiolab is supported by Capital One. With no fees or minimums, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision 
in the history of decisions. Even easier than deciding to listen to another episode of your favorite podcast. And with no overdraft fees, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank. Capital One N.A. Member FDIC. And now a word from our sponsor, Robinhood. Make your money do the most with Robinhood Gold. Get 5% APY on your cash and $2.25 million in FDIC insurance through their partner banks, all for just $5 a month. Get 30 days for free when you sign up at Robinhood.com slash gold podcast as of 9-21-23 via bank rate. Interest is earned on idle cash swept from your brokerage account to program banks. Cash sweep program and gold are offered through Robinhood Financial LLC. Terms apply. Rate may change. Robinhood is not a bank. I just love the opera. Never been? Then come with me. I'm Rhiannon Giddens, host of Aria Code, the podcast where together we explore the magic of opera, one song at a time, for diehard fans and newcomers alike. The best part? No tux or ticket or high heels required. Listen to Aria Code wherever you get podcasts. Hey, Jad here, Radio Lab. So we're going to return to our conversation with science writer uh, Carl Zimmer. It's an unedited conversation. And uh, we were talking about giant viruses and what they can teach us about life, which really starts with a simpler question of, like, where the hell do they come from? How do you get a giant virus? Like, How do you? How do you? Well, that, so, so one clue comes from those genes. So now that they're finding more and more of these giant viruses – they're they're finding enough variety of them. They can they can look for sort of some some common genes that they share, some some common mutations in genes, and they're finding actually that that it looks like giant viruses might actually belong to one lineage. Oh, interesting. Oh, so they're cousins. They have a common ancestor. Yeah. So it's a so, tribe of of a sort. Right. And a, and if that if that's true, it could be an incredibly old tribe. These these giant viruses could be a lineage. Conceivably, that you know goes all the way back to you know the early stages of life. The dawn of time in a world. In a world, <laughs> it's really old, like like back to the very beginning of life on Earth. Um, to that era, yeah, yeah. I uh. mean, maybe when cellular life was getting started. But the question is, well, what were the giant viruses like then? Now, some people have said, well, no, giant viruses actually started out as teeny tiny viruses, and they've just been like gathering up new genes through time and just been getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, but, you know, a number of the people who actually study giant viruses and have really, you know, helped us to understand the most are saying, no, we don't think so. We actually think that these things started out as cellular life. They were cells. They were full-blown cells. Mm. And oh, you mean they were from the other side of the road? They were Whoa. cellular life. Yeah. And then what? They switched sides? Somehow? Yeah. They what? changed teams. Yeah. How? They cha- how? No, that, like, I can't have a plant that becomes an animal. <laughs> how did they, so they started off as, like, what we would call creatures. And, right. And then. They started out truly alive. You know, they they like they, freestanding out there in the air or the water or the yeah. ground or yeah, just some like some free living microbe, 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, that could, well, then that, why would they be? Why would you go demote yourself? This is this is your problem with parasites. You keep saying mean things about parasites. <laughs> well, how many I years have we choice, been talking about parasites? Have I go, tell if, you nothing? <laughs> if I had a choice between being a integ, having my own integrity and choosing to make a living on my own, or to suck off you, I would just live <laughs> on my own. Now, excuse me for. Hold on, this I is, know you like parasites, but honestly, could you not use that? that passage in the recording please. it's already been cut um so so wait a second so you according to this theory you have it a stands mic- true nevertheless we have a microbe that is um that is doing its thing and then something happens okay but what listen, is the something it becomes a parasite it becomes a parasite or at least you know maybe a symbiont here basically what it does is it starts living inside another cell you mean it gives up its integrity as an as a as a free f- life form, a freestanding life form. Wait, just so we understand what that means, that means that it's got a shell, it's got a border, it's making its own energy, it's replicating in the way that at the beginning, things, at the beginning, yeah, at the beginning, it can make its own energy, it can grow, it can divide, it and, can do all the things that living things do. Yeah, and then for some reason, it chooses to require some other creature's existence for its own. It has it has to become dependent on some other organism for its very, very existence. Well, let's flip it the other way and say it discovers a wonderful new home inside of another cell. It's a, it comes in and is like... Just oh, like oh. I love leaving my Park Avenue apartment for a dark cave. No. It's a new and exciting opportunity. No, real no, estate no, 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 no. Au contraire, au contraire. Like imagine, imagine like you... Let's, let's imagine you're like Bear Grylls, okay? Let's imagine you are like hiking around and killing your own food, okay? I... I Let's let's try to picture this, okay? <laughs> Robert doing this? <laughs> you're you're gutting your deer, you're starting your own fires, you're going on and on and on. And you do that for like a few years. And then and you're walking through the jungle and, and you're then very, very skinny. Because <laughs> it's not going well. So Robert Krolwich, the the haggard hunter, um, and let's say you're doing this in Minnesota, right? So it's like cold, okay? And then suddenly like you you there's a break in the forest and you come across a giant mansion and you're like what is this place and you open the door and inside there's like conveyor belts with ice cream and steak <laughs> and you know and and there are slippers waiting for you and you know anything you need it's it somebody else is taking care of it there is one thing you left out when yeah. i walk into this magical kingdom of soda it doesn't let me out. I can't leave ever again because sure I am become so dependent on its natural yeah. wonders that I lose my independence, my integrity, and the very, very thing that I walked in with is now gone. I'm we did, stuck we, we did literally have this conversation a few years ago. We did. It's true. We did. And, and I did point out to you at the time that you are quite dependent on, on other species. <laughs> <We're>, <laughs> Do you want me to bring out? No, 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 no. With, but, uh, so I, but I will just I will just say see episode thirty two <laughs> yeah. or whatever. Chad's eyes will roll right out of their sockets. Yeah. So so like becoming be, being able to take advantage of of another cell. Evolutionarily speaking, is is a great way to go mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because you have all these things taken care of for you. Now, um, the the in, according to this theory, these these mysterious ancient uh, microbes 
started going into these cells and reproducing there, and then going out again and then finding another host cell to infect. Okay. Were they making like um, were they making their hosts sick? Uh, probably, yeah. Probably, yeah, because giant viruses are not good to get. Well, see, this is this complicates your mansion metaphor just a tiny bit mm-hmm. because what it means is that you go in the conveyor belt and you're feeding yourself and yeah. you're having a good time, but then your filth starts to muck up the place and it starts to collapse from within. That doesn't sound so nice. To strain the metaphor a bit. Go, boy. Go, boy. <laughs> Robert oh, Crowley. No, no, don't Krowich. even tell referring to me. Now it's going to him. <laughs> okay. No, no, I'm just trying to understand. So, so you you spend some time in this wonderful mansion. You you rest. It's warm. It's comfortable. So on. You 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 eat. You um, fill it with your filth. You start a family. You know, and then all of a sudden, you and your descendants, you know, leave the mansion. The mansion just collapses <laughs> from all the damage you did to it. But you know, actually, you see in the distance, there's another mansion. Let's just go over there. Now you feel like rested and ready, and like yeah, all we got to do is get over there. So let's just go there. We don't have to. St- we don't have to stop to to kill a deer. We just go to that next mansion. The ice cream is waiting. I still got to walk, so I need my legs, so to yeah. speak, sure, sure. to get to the next mansion. Right. But I don't need the powerful muscles that I would have no. needed to kill the deer. Mm-hmm. I can let you go don't of those. Even, you don't need even need. You know, let's say that you were, you know, you don't even need the knowledge of how to kill a deer. <laughs> you would be blind, <laughs> dumb, and fat. So these, That's where you so end up. So these things, these things. And destructive. Turn, these oh, things gosh, I'm so get, excited. They get rid, they start getting rid of these genes. And, yeah. and how does that happen? Just, you know, a random mutation comes along and just cuts out a bit of DNA. Oh, because it doesn't need them. You're fine. Yeah. Hmm. You're like, that's okay. I mean, Is it a moment where... Oh, there goes a big chunk of me. Gone. Yeah. I don't need that. Bye. I mean, th- th- that's a regular kind of mutation. That happens all the time. Really? In cells. Oh, yeah, yeah. But then your 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 successor being just travels a little bit lighter and is able to succeed just as well. Right. So, you know, if, 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 if you know, if, if we are born, you know, with, with a part of our DNA that's deleted that had some, you know, like hemoglobin genes in it, like, good night. Like, mm-hmm. that's bad. I mm-hmm. mean... But, um, you know, but if, if you cut out a gene that this giant virus no longer needs because it's got everything supplied to it in its host, hmm. fine. So chuck that, chuck it out. So you have this. So the idea is that you that these viruses, they're giant viruses, but they're actually been shrinking. Huh. And, and at, 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 a, at a, how fast does a giant, like the, imagining back at the, in, in the beginning, there was, the there was not mega, not being. gino. No, no, in the but beginning, like, there's a cellular being, right? Oh, it's a cellular being, yeah. right. Okay, so this is, a I mean. Cellular being. A cellular being. With all of right. the privileges and joys of independent life. <laughs> Size-wise, it's a blimp. It's a massive thing. And then suddenly it starts to shrink bit by bit by bit by bit. It, what, at what rate does it start to shrink and shed itself? Well, it could be that these giant viruses we're finding, but these giant viruses that scientists are finding could be shrinking very, very, very slowly. Hmm. It could be that there are other viruses that made this transition that shrank faster. Hmm. So maybe, maybe... It's a race s- to the bottom. Maybe some, some, maybe some tiny viruses are just former giant viruses that just wow. shrank really fast. Race to the bottom. It's such a different way of thinking about life. You you generally assume 
being a multicellular organism yourself, yeah. that little things in some deep sense, though you're not supposed to say this, want to be big things. You don't want to say this. I know. Yeah. I know. But most people, <laughs> who, unlike you, asshole, most people think that now it's that better. That I want in the podcast. <laughs> it's better to be more complex than to be simple. But here, you're talking about a different voyage altogether. It might just work out for you to be simple rather than complex. Um, well, given that, that viruses are insanely abundant on this planet, I mean, there are, by some estimates, uh, 10 to the 31st power of viruses on earth think about that like it's a it's a you know it's a one with 31 zeros after it i mean it, it's inconceivable how many viruses there are on earth so it's their world so uh, apparently you know nature has not agreed with you <laughs> but you know it is interesting like uh thinking about how how life gets smaller and simpler it's it interesting yeah if it's true that this trajectory is as, as, as common as you say, that, that things start out sometimes, start out big and then learn to live inside other things and in the process get smaller and smaller and smaller. And this is actually maybe what happens to a lot of viruses, not just some viruses. It, in a way, it gives the virus an honorable history. I don't know why I feel that way. Well, this boy isn't going to sign up for no, that. No, he's not going to sign up for that. And I, I yeah, don't... It's okay. Uh, well, uh, well, an honorable history, but then, I mean, it abandoned its free-living past, right? <laughs> it did. It gave but, in to the temptations of the mansion full of steak and ice cream. It's true, but I've always assumed, and this is not, not something one should assume, that viruses were a kind of proto-organism. They were somehow at the beginning of something and they never quite got going. Yeah. But this, you're actually saying that these viruses are in a way at the end, not at the end, but they're at the, I don't know how to quite use the words that I want to use. There's, they feel somehow at the end of something, not at the beginning. Like you've just took the, you just took what I consider to be the beginning and you've now made it an, an, an yes, end. an end. Mm-hmm. And that's interesting. I never, I, yeah, that's, that's very interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. So so life can go in different directions. And how far can that reverse journey go? I mean, can you go from like how big did that it was it ever like a turtle with with uh with things or no. uh no, no like a giant dinosaur? <laughs> no? No. Sorry. No. There are things called I believe they're called mixozoans. Mm. Um which started out as free living animals and have become Parasites, and they're just down to just a few cells. Wait, 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 wait. Mixozoans? Mixozoans? You say when free living animals, you don't mean animals in the way that animals, animals. anyone would think of an animal. Like, like a jelly. Like, oh, look, my pet, my pet <clears throat> like fluffy. Not my, like that. Well, my pet jellyfish. Really? Really? Yeah. So you're saying a jellyfish sized thing has now reduced itself to a to, tiny to speck? A microscopic parasite of fish. Get the f- fuck. Don't even say it because that's, you can't do it if you're that small. That's insane. It, it really? Like going from something you can see and would want to avoid while swimming down to something that you might even just breathe in without even knowing it. Mm-hmm. Wow. Oh. You're blowing my mind, shrinking my what mind. What was it called again? Mixozoan. A mixozoan? Yeah. How do you spell that? M-Y-X-Z-O-A-N. I'm trying in my mind to construct a scenario where we, like the mixozoan, could begin to shed like if we were living inside the, like not the iPhone but the i 
iHome, the iUniverse. Well, you know, but but the fact is that we, you know, we have cast aside some things. You know, oh, what have we cast aside? Well, we can't. I mean, for, we used to smell better. Smell I know. Before. I know we that. Could smell better. Yeah. We used to be able to make our own vitamin C in our own bodies. Our own bodies were vitamin C factories. Really? Yes. What 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 changed that? Probably. Why did we want to let go of that? <clears throat> that sounds great. Sunshine vitamin C. Yeah, making your own supply of vitamin C. Well. Um, if you are sitting around eating fruit all the time, fruit which is loaded in vitamin C, then if you get a mutation on your vitamin C gene, well, you're, you're fine because you're, you're, you, you're getting your vitamin C from somewhere else. You don't feel that lack. You know? see. You don't start getting scurvy because you're feeding yourself on fruit. And then that mutated gene may then spread out and end up being in every member of your species, which seems to happen to us. I mean, you can literally like see like these, we have these broken vitamin C genes. Huh. So sometimes we shrink too. Yeah. Okay, so there you have it, a raw conversation with science writer Carl Zimmer about shrinking, shrinkage in life. Now, usually what happens in these conversations is because uh, you're just talking and because you don't really have like an encyclopedia sitting right next to you, you get a lot of the little things wrong, little details, little facts, names, dates, whatever, and then, you know, you fact check it later. Uh, so in fairness to Carl, as we were fact checking, we gave him the chance to listen back to the raw conversation make a couple of amendments. This is fact-checker Carl uh, <laughs> scolding, uh, <laughs> rambling Carl. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. We were saying that um, this microbiologist, uh, uh, Tim Robotham, took his samples to France, but actually there was another microbiologist named Richard Bertels that did it. Um, gotcha. So, small but important. Sorry, Richard. Uh, our apologies. Yeah. And mama virus turns out to have 1,023 genes, not 1,059 genes, my yeah. apologies. Then I started talking about megavirus. At the time in 2011, it was indeed the biggest virus known. 1,120 genes, okay? Okay. However, there was in 2013 a another virus found um, called Pandora virus. Now, I was saying that this was something found in the Siberian tundra. Wrong. This was found in the ocean. And this virus has a whole lot of genes. How many? It has 2,500. Whoa. 2,500. I mean, that's way more than a lot of bacteria. Also, uh, at a certain point, we refer to Pandora virus as being the biggest virus in size. Actually, that that distinction goes to pithovirus. And uh, also, it seems that since we talked, there's evidence that there might actually be a couple separate lineages of giant viruses. One may have evolved from big to small, as we talked about, but another one might have gone in the usual direction, from small to big. Um, there's one last thing that I see. So apparently, uh, apparently, I didn't quite spell Mixazoan correctly. <laughs> <laughs> this is how you spell Mixazoan. M-Y-X-O-Z-O-A-N. Apparently, I missed one of those O's. I can't remember. 
I mean, I would be lying if I say I didn't think a little bit less of you now. <laughs> okay, extra O, back in. <laughs> the raw stupidity <laughs> that goes into Radiolab. Yep. Stupid people interviewing <laughs> stupid people. <laughs> About smart things. That's funny. That's a great tagline. Stupid. Okay. Uh, that, that's our new tagline. I'm Jad Abumrad. Thanks for listening. Radiolab was created by Jad Abumrad and is edited by Soren Wheeler. Lulu Miller and Latif Nasser are our co-hosts. Dylan Keefe is our director of sound design. Our staff includes Simon Adler, Jeremy Bloom, Becca Bressler, Aketi Foster-Keys, W. Harry Fortuna, David Gable, Maria Paz Gutierrez, Sindhu Nyana Sambadam, Matt Kilty, Annie McEwen, Alex Neeson, Alyssa Jong Perry, Sarah Kari, Sarah Sambach, Ariane Wack, Pat Walters, and Molly Webster, with help from Timmy Broderick. Our fact checkers are Diane Kelly, Emily Krieger, and Natalie Middleton. Hi, my name is Michael Smith. I'm calling from Pennington, New Jersey. Leadership support for Radiolab's science programming is provided by the Gordon and Betty Moore Foundation, Science Sandbox, the Simons Foundation Initiative, and the John Templeton Foundation. Foundational support for Radiolab was provided by the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation. Radiolab is supported by the John Templeton Foundation, funding research and catalyzing conversations that inspire people with awe and wonder. Learn about the researchers making the latest discoveries in the science of well-being, complexity, forgiveness, and free will at templeton.org slash podcast. There's a lot going on right now. Mounting economic inequality, threats to democracy, environmental disaster, the sour stench of chaos in the air. I'm Brooke Gladstone, host of WNYC's On the Media. Want to understand the reasons and the meanings of the narratives that led us here? And maybe how to head them off at the pass? That's On the Media's specialty. Take a listen wherever you get your podcasts.